Before we get started, there's something I'm really excited to share with you. It's no secret that we think diversifying your income is incredibly important. One way that we do it is by investing in rental properties. We've done a ton of research, interviewed experts, and invested over $100,000 of our own money in income-producing rental properties. I am proud to announce that we're launching Rental Properties for Passive Investors. It's a course on exactly how you can passively invest in rental properties. Like our podcast, it's incredibly actionable and details exactly how we've both purchased and managed our rental properties. It also includes a year of investable, the analysis tool we use to make sure the rental properties we purchase are actually profitable. Finding the deal is half the battle. You need to know your numbers to make a profitable investment. We're running a pre-sale for $100 off. Head over to listenmoneymatters.com slash REI to learn more. That's listenmoneymatters.com slash REI for $100 off rental properties for passive investors. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Listen Money Matters. Don't chase money. Let money chase you. My name is Thomas, and I'm here as always with Andrew Andrew, how are you, and what are you drinking today? Good, dude, good. Today, uh, I'm, I've been slowly falling back into my IPA habit. Oh. And, uh, I know. I, do, I, just, I, I think it's like an acquired taste in the beginning, like the IPA bitterness, but it just it tastes like the beer that I need. <laughs> and uh, today, it's, it's a slope-style uh, winter IPA from Boulder Beer. Based nice. In, in if, guess, wait for it, wait for it. Boulder, Colorado. Really? Yeah. No. Surprising, right? No. I don't believe it. <laughs> what are you drinking, it. sir? So I was. Uh, my brother left some cans of Buffalo Sweat, like oatmeal stout, in the fridge. What? I, dude, so do I, you have the can? Yeah, it's the cans. Can I see? <laughs> no, I don't because <laughs> I pulled it out of the fridge and then I opened it and I was like, why is it like foaming out so much? And it just like foamed out for like five minutes and then I realized the can was like frozen. Oh, what? <laughs> <laughs> so I just have some scotch instead. Is uh, Iowa that cold where just like your beer is always frozen? <laughs> I blame our fridge. Well, the problem is like, okay, so our, I have three roommates and then the girls put their stuff in the fridge. And so there's no room in the fridge. And I had to put the beer like way at the top. So ah. I think it was too close to the top and froze it. Damn. So I was stupid. It was my fault. Damn. <laughs> so well, you there. have to drink that. Do you have like only one or you have like two? Or There was like three. So I left the other two out to kind of thaw, and I'll, I'll drink them later. When we record tomorrow, dude, you got to have yeah. one of them, because I want to see the can. All right. It's pretty cool. It, I mean, it sounds like it's going to be cool. It's like oatmeal cream stout. Mm. It's pretty tasty. Stop, My brother's dude. not really like a beer guy, and it's like the one beer he likes. So I was like, all right, I'll try it. It's pretty good. Anyway, hey, our catchphrase today was from Sean Ali, and it said, don't chase money, let money chase you. And if you want to send us a catchphrase... Then do it to us. Uh, do it to us. <laughs> do it to us softly. Do it to us softly. <laughs> Kill us softly, please. Uh, send it to us on Twitter. We're at Money Matters Man over there on the Twitter webs. Or you can send them on Facebook, uh, Google Plus, Instagram, Friendster. Speaking of Google Plus, we are actually <laughs> trying to build up Google Plus and make it like a real thing. Our very own Daniel Merle is focusing on it. So if, if you're a Google Plus person, like you just you see the pluses wherever you go, go over there because the shit is actually happening there now. Mm. Dude, 
Mm. I've been sort of like forced to become a Google Plus guy a little bit because of YouTube. Ah, oh, that's like, true. Like it's all yeah. Google Plus content or comments now. So like I barely ever go on the actual Google Plus site, but all the like the notifications, if I get like a reply on a comment that I can like plus one it on Google Plus and whatever. The so, thing is, like, I, I mean, bastards. I'd say I never got into Google Plus, but that would almost be doing a disservice to Google Plus because I also never really got into Facebook and I also <laughs> never really got into Twitter. I'm kind of like too busy. Hey, man, you got a personal account on there with like six tweets. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you have a pretty good number of followers for how like little you tweet. I know. I literally tweet basically never. But when I do tweet, I'm bitching at a company or something. So yep. (laughs) (laughs) Like my friend tweeted me the other day, and I checked his Twitter, and it's just like he has like 50 tweets, and like 48 of the tweets are is him bitching at NJ Transit for sucking. (laughs) I'm like, yes, dude. That's a point to create a Twitter account. Dude, totally unrelated. But I just took a sip of my scotch, and the rim tasted like bread, and I was really confused for a second. But now I remember why it tastes like bread. <laughs> why does it, why it taste like I was like- making my breakfast this morning and I was like down to the end of the sourdough loaf and mm-hmm. like the wine glass is too big to bore a hole in the middle of it for the egg. So I just oh. grabbed a smaller scotch glass <laughs> and apparently I didn't clean it off well enough because I just like tasted That's <laughs> right, sourdough scotch. Mm. Your eggs in a basket. Yep. Pretty much every morning. It's, it's good stuff. Anyway, <laughs> hey, we're going to do five questions today. And I'm going to read Andrew the first question because I don't know the answer to it. So this question comes from Jeff, and uh, he says, once the IPO goes uh, out for a company, how do the stock prices actually affect the company's day-to-day operations and whatnot? (laughs) I'd just like a little more depth on how stocks work on a macro scale as opposed to this micro scale of the individual's portfolio. So I guess the, the gist of it is, does... Do stock prices like affect the day-to-day operations of the company? Really? I'm going to assume the, the whatnot portion is like the janitorial work during you know the day. So, so I'll touch upon, touch upon <laughs> both of those things. Um, once, so when a company IPOs, they get that money because they're selling the stock to the market. And then you, know, you and other companies buy the stock. And then once other people buy the, own the stock, like... The company doesn't own it anymore. So when I bought it from the IPO and I sell it to Thomas, um, you know, I when I bought it, the company made money, and then when I sell it to Thomas, I made money, hopefully. And when Thomas sells it, he makes money, hopefully. The company doesn't make anything, and so actually, it doesn't really affect them at all. So if a company's stock price tanks, in terms of the company, it doesn't really matter. However. The company is owned by its shareholders, meaning all the people who own the stock. So when the stock tanks and I'm holding the company's stock, I'm going to be pissed. And I'm like, why is the stock dropping? You guys are messing this up, whatever. And CEOs can get fired and things can get shook up. So in terms of the price affecting like their balance sheet or you know if they're going to have money to cover their their debts or whatever it doesn't um but it very way very well may affect the the leadership of the company and and also oftentimes companies may give bonuses in terms of stock um or or acquire other companies and use stock to do that and if the stock price drops it'll require more stock to do these things you know so they will have technically less money or less 
stock to to buy other companies with or less money or you know stock to compensate their employees so it may complicate their operations or make them slightly more expensive but generally speaking like day-to-day fluctuations for normal companies they they couldn't give a shit okay so let me see if i understand this correctly like the whole stock market so so say i have a company Mm. and uh, you know i go public um i'm guessing like as as the owner, do I still like typically own fifty one percent myself? Like so, basically, like divvy up the ownership of the company and represent that in terms of stock certificates, right? So there's the old way of doing things, which is more standard and and what people should prefer, which is there is you know a hundred shares in a company and whomever or the group of whomevers that own 51% or 51 shares, you know, of this 100 share company, they call the shots, right? But okay. what happens so is that the board usually then? No, so like it's not usually the board. Or? The board is actually hired. Technically, the board is hired by the shareholders to be the boss of the CEO. Oh, okay. But what happens is so and if you look at a company like Facebook, um, what he did is he was like, uh, you know, I want to sell all my shares. I want to make a shitload of money, but I want to always control Facebook. So he created two tiers of stock, like a class A. I mean, tiers, two classes of stock, okay. class A and class B. And I believe class B is the, the preferential one that has voting ability. Okay. So he will retain 51% of this whatever thing, but he sells to us class A. So we all will buy this thing. And it's much when you buy something like Facebook with two tiers, you're not like as much an owner as people with class B. So, so it sounds like it's a Facebook mutual fund a little bit. Yeah, it's it's kind of it's it's, it's a lot more gambling esque than like buying to own and okay. So you, I mean, if you're a creating company, you could always do that. Um, it's generally dick, and people don't like it. Yeah, uh, but obviously they're Facebook, so they got away with it. So basically, it's I want to make a like you said, I want to make a bunch of money, so I'm going to kind of finagle this a little bit, so where I can sell you ownership that isn't really ownership. Basically, like the it's like it's like ownership with only one, like, uh, it, it's like it's like you only want one, like, to thing you get from it. And that's just money. Yeah, it's like it's like oh, you want to ride on the Titanic? Yeah, yeah. We actually have a ton of space on the bottom level. <laughs> We're gonna sell it to you. Those are our Class A shares. You just come. You can ride on the Titanic. You tell all your friends. And then all the fancy people, they get the class B, they're the ones drinking champagne, and they get the so, life rafts. So it's kind of <laughs> like I have two friends, and I'm like, both of you should invest 50 bucks in my company. Uh, friend A, you're smart, so you give me 50 bucks, and in exchange, you'll get returns, plus you get some say. And then friend B, you're kind of dumb, but you have money <laughs> from your parents, so you can just have the share, and you'll get a return, but whatever you say, I don't fucking care. So, so yes, but then your, your friend B, the dumb one is ultra dumb because he's paying the same price as the other guy who actually gets a vote. You usually it's cheaper, but Hey, if if you could charge them more, I mean, so, so is this the same thing as common and preferred stock or not? Yeah. I mean, it's, that's basically the same thing. Berkshire Hathaway has a similar setup and I mean, there there are a few companies that have multi-tiered, you know, shares. So that like usually the common is cheaper, right? 
Usually the common is cheaper, and most of the big name companies that that people know of only have common. Mm. You know, this this two tier thing. Not that it's new; it, it's becoming a lot more popular to do. Okay, so this this classic structure, you just kind of divvy up your company into a hundred shares, say, mm. and then you you decide how many you want to sell, and that's kind of how you raise capital, right? Right. So with Microsoft, uh, Bill Gates for a very long time, and maybe even still had fifty one percent. And uh, when he did, he actually literally owned fifty one percent. It wasn't this like finagled bullshit. But okay, so so now we've got you know forty nine percent of the shares are out in the market. People have bought them. Mm. What is like? What determines the price of the stock? And then what happens if everyone gets pissed and sells it all? Like, does the company have to buy it all back? Is there some like exchange that holds it? How does that work? So price is just supply and demand. So um, if you want it really bad, you know, and and so do a lot of other people, uh, the price goes up. Like basically, uh, I mean, it it happens like uh, on such like a a large scale and the volumes are so much that like – because what happens is like you own the stock. Say you own Apple and it's $100. And someone's like, dude, uh, I'll buy a few for $100. You're like, nah, like, I, I really want to sell. Like, I, I like it. It's good. And they're like, I'll, I'll, $101. I'll buy it from you. And you're like, nah, I, I want it. Like, like, okay, dude, $110. And you're like, okay, fine. And you sell it to them. Where okay. in reverse, you know, if Apple was like tanking, you're like, uh, it, you know, it's $100. You're like, anyone want to buy it for $90, $80, anything. Just take it from me. So that, and, and, it, in a large scale, I mean, no one person can really coordinate it, but it winds up being that which moves it. Okay, so from from your point of view and my point of view, there's like an actual price I can go look at it on Google Finance. Like, oh yeah, stock is X number of dollars today. But so you're saying like at some point in the chain, there's either some dude yelling into a phone or maybe a computer that's like looking at the offers people are making for selling and buying and setting the price based on that. Yeah, because what happens okay. is uh, like if Apple was $100 and I could buy it from you for $100, I would buy it from you for $100. So they're trying to buy it from you for the price that like it's at right now. Like they're not trying to pay more. If right. anything, they're trying to pay less. But the thing is that no one is posting up shares saying that they will sell it for that because right. it's not like – it's not like um, they come to you and then convince you and then you list. It's like there are buyers who are asking and then there are people who are trying to sell at a certain price. And it's like the matching of the two. So if, if okay. you don't list yours for 100 it's just not possible to buy them for 100 So what about when people say like, oh, the CEO of this company just got indicted. That's going to drive the price down. Is it basically like there's a lot of investors speculating that the company's not going to perform as well due to that, so they're now trying to sell, or like most of the the volume is speculation. Okay, so so that's I guess that was the root of the question. So mainly it's like, okay, so mainly it's speculation on future events based on factors and news and stuff like that, mm. past performance, and then people make offers based on that. Yeah, and sort of like sets the price. So okay. m- for the most part, yeah, and and hopefully people in this audience are not, and they're just listing it to sell because <laughs> it's the time, or they're just buying it because yeah. it's the time, not because you know whatever. But okay, so I guess so now let's come full circle around here. Um, I'm the company. I've sold my stock. I've got all these crazy people that are trying to buy and sell my stock and speculate on whether or not I'm going to be indicted. Blah blah blah. 
uh, I now drink. I now bring Gogurt to work. They now think I'm a five year old. So the price is going down. <laughs> Say it tanks. Mm. Does that like? Is there a consequence? Like, how does it? Why would it directly affect the company? Like, could as a company, I just be like, oh look, it tanks. Sorry, we already have your money. We're not going to give it back. Is there like some way the shareholders can like force the company to give it back? How does that work? No, no. So, so they can't. I mean, they could maybe sue the company if they did something illegal or they did something that was not in the best interest of the shareholders that they should know is not in the best interest of the shareholders. And that that does happen um, probably okay. many times every year. But generally speaking, if the stock tanks, uh, you know, the only one who maybe feels the pressure is the CEO because he's going to get like shit on by the board and blah, blah. I mean, the board is basically okay. hired by the shareholders. OK, so there it is. So there's no hmm. direct control from the mass of the shareholders and like their prices that they're paying on the company. So they hire the board and the board has a power over the CEO basically. And they could they could fire him. Yeah. Okay. So really the only the only um ways a company will be directly affected by stock prices are the board might take action against the CEO mm. or if a company goes under they're like they're liable to pay back Nope. The investor, aren't they? Nope. Or like that's preferred bonds. investors? So, oh, that's bonds. Uh, there, there, may be, there may be a, a preferred, sh- you know, really not. No, they're really not. Like okay. stock is not secured. Bonds are secured. And so okay. bonds, and what happens is you may not even get uh, a dollar for dollar value of what you purchase on bonds, but if a company goes bankrupt, bondholders are higher up on the payback chain than stockholders. So if bondholders make back all their money, you may get some money as a stockholder, but if bondholders don't make back all their money, you're getting dick if you're a okay. stockholder. So you're like super low on the total pool for a standby kind of kind of deal. Yeah, yeah exactly. You're not going to get on the plane. Okay, cool. So I think we probably adequately uh, answered that, right? I think so. So cool. <laughs> I, I've got one for you now. All right. Someone wrote in and they said... Um, they said, I'm curious what Thomas would say about developing an AM routine, even though my work hours change constantly. Parentheses, I'm a grocery retail and my shifts are always moved around, as are my days off. Is it more important to get six to seven hours of sleep or wake up early every day at 4.30, even if that means I won't get to sleep till 12 a.m. the previous night? That is a tough situation. <laughs> I, I think I think the first thing I would say is like start you know if you want to do this start looking into how you could potentially get yourself moved on to a specific shift like a I know I worked at Hy-Vee the grocery store here in um, Iowa when I was a teenager and when I was uh, just a cashier my shifts were just all over the place whenever they needed me basically mm. and then I ended up asking could I be moved to the bakery well when I got to move to the bakery it was always like four to nine, just weekdays. Or sometimes I'd come in and work on the weekends in the morning. But it was very, uh, a lot more scheduled out and and what consistent, yeah. Mm. So, I mean, that could be one thing you look at. I think in terms of building a morning routine, the amount of sleep you get is more important than getting up at the same time every single day. Mm. Like if you're, if you're going to bed at 12 and you're going to get up at 4.30, like you're, you're not giving so, your body the amount of sleep it needs. Let me ask you this. So one day, um, based on my schedule, I wake up at 6 a.m. And I've gotten seven hours of sleep. And then I, you know, I can go and do like your morning routine. Mm-hmm. And then the next day, based on my schedule, 
I get the seven hours of sleep, but I'm up at 10 a.m. Should, should I like literally go through the same morning routine, just delayed? Or is it like kind of a moot point because you, you kind of get what I'm saying? Well, so for me, the morning routine is just a, an attempt to, to, to move myself forward on several different goals. So it doesn't really matter when I do it. Now, I do think it takes a little bit more discipline to do it at different times and different days of the week because your body sorts, sort of gets used to this certain like, oh, at 6 a.m. I now do this. Well, I'm mm-hmm. trying to do it at 9. I know from personal experience, typically I will get up. I get up at 5.50 every weekday, but typically on the weekends I get up around 8 or 8.30 because I haven't gotten to the point where I just – I guess I don't care enough about doing the routine on the weekends. I kind of want to give myself a break in that area. Mm. But when I get up, I'll get up at 8.30, and I won't do the whole routine. Like, it was like, oh, it's 8.30. You know, that's, it's not time to do it. I think it would take a lot more discipline. And it, it's hard for me to speak to it because I don't have them activated in Habit RPG for the weekends. Mm. Um, but I think, like, if you wanted, if, if you were in a situation where it's not just weekends, like, I'm purposefully giving myself a break on the weekends because I don't want to burn out. But if you're in a job situation where you just have a fluctuating schedule... I would say get the adequate amount of sleep and then just try to build the routine in whenever you wake up. So if you can, build that buffer in between when you wake up and when you need to go to work the next day, even if it's different than the day before. I think it's more important to get the amount of sleep you need than it is to get up at the exact same time every day. Like that is good, but getting the amount of sleep you need is even more important. Mm. Yeah. Which... That uh, reminds me, how is your morning wake-up goals going, Andrew? So, question number three. It's, it's not going that well. <laughs> that's uh, a good question. Uh, that's a good question. Speaking of that question, no, like... Let me, let me tell you how my streaks are up to the 50s now for some of my habits. My streak so. got up to at least two, if not maybe Well, I three. mean, that's enough to graph a line. <laughs> do i need to like start texting you you know um Dude, you should just get up at 6 a.m anyway because our, our for, schedule for, has been broken for my uh for, for my defense i had the flu the the this past we everyone okay. had this glorious long weekend <laughs> i had a glorious weekend where i had like intense cold sweats on the couch I'll and like just i had to change my shirt like every few minutes like i mean uh. not a few minutes but it was bad. So I really do want to get onto a real schedule, and I'm trying. Okay. A, li- a little, a wee bit. <laughs> a wee bit. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, that's, so that's, I guess, what I have to say about uh, weird morning routines. And that was from T-Test40. Is that on Twitter? Or um, just Twitter? I'm going to say maybe. <laughs> okay. I, I, I wrote that down a while ago. Okay. okay. Th- yeah, email or um, could have been Twitter, actually. Gotcha. Which I think is what you said. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's do question number three. Uh, what are some things about personal finances you wish you knew when you were young? Um, Better one for you than me. <laughs> so uh, what I wish I... I think that this whole compound interest thing is like you can understand it, but like even when you understand it, like you can't like really understand it. And I, most of my wealth was built, uh, I guess, 
when I was starting when I was like 24, 25, like I just started, you know, to, I, I didn't really have anything until then. And, you know, I saved and I, I invested and it just grows so damn quickly if you don't touch it. So like the whole thing, I guess for me is like, it doesn't matter if it's a thousand dollars or a hundred dollars or five dollars, like if it is anything, like you just need to do it consistently. That that's like that's like the whole trick. That's like the all of it. I mean, like literally we could distill the podcast podcast down mm-hmm. into like save money on a consistent basis and like mic drop. You know? So so we changed the name from Listen Money Matters to fucking invest (laughs) exactly like that's just just (laughs) it it's like not even that difficult you know but thomas you happen to still be young so what are some things you wish you knew about personal finance (laughs) like when i was younger i would say when you're younger regret i have is like i did all this work in high school like i worked upwards of sometimes 30 hours a week depending on when like the job i had and i graduated with like nothing to show for it yeah, that, like, I worked from fourteen to eighteen, like all the time. I worked fifteen to uh, all, for the rest of my life so far. But yeah, well, I mean, I, mean, I were obviously after eighteen, but that was when I went to college. But I went like fourteen to eighteen high school jobs. I had like ton of different jobs. Uh, like I, mean, I did That's freelance web design, point. worked at the grocery store, Target, tutored, did tasseled corn, mowed lawns, <laughs> everything. That's silly. So then I would like every single day. I'd drive to Dairy Queen and buy a shake and destroy my body and pay $4. And then I would eat out with my friends and just buy random stuff. You know, the thing, one thing I regret mm. is the reason I got my first job at 14, which is not my first job. My first job was mowing lawns and scooping mm. dog poop. But my first like <laughs> W4 filling out detasseling corn job, I specifically wanted to buy a metal DDR pad. That was going to cost 350 bucks, right. which they don't sell anymore because the company went on under. Um, so I, I did the job and it was like three weeks of the most hard work I'd ever experienced up until that point in my life. And then I got paid and I saw the money and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to let myself play with it. Like I remember consciously making the decision, like instead of buying this thing that I was saving up for that I specifically got the job for, I'm just going to I'm just going to like buy school clothes and buy food and let myself like have fun. And I think I probably would have been better off if I had just bought the thing I wanted in the first place. <laughs> so I guess who wants school I, one clothes? Thing dude? I wish I would have known is like just how important it is to set goals for your finances, whatever they may be, metal dance pads or investing goals, whatever they are, and then actually stick to them. Because I don't remember any of those school clothes. I don't remember any of the Wendy's cheeseburgers I ate, except for that they're probably not very good. <laughs> I think I probably would remember that pad because I saw videos of people running them over with trucks and them surviving and I'd probably still own it. So, yeah, that's my biggest money regret. Also, I guess the other money regret was I should have invested in Apple like I did in the stock oh, game. Oh, yeah, that was that was maybe <laughs> the only good decision that I made. <laughs> Investing in Apple? Yeah. But see, yeah. the thing is I invest in it and I can I just can't get myself to sell it. So I'll probably die still owning it. Where like I'll never get used to the money because it's just like I I own it and I can't not. I'm like it's always gonna go up. It's always gonna go up. Only going up. <laughs> There's a game called Fortune Street for the Wii. It's like uh, it's basically Monopoly. Mm-hmm. And my friend Martin and my other friend Ryan always like 
they call themselves Team Dog. So every different planet is like Team Dog only going up every time. <laughs> every time. Yeah, I don't have any Apple. First time, I should have every time. But I have uh, I have mutual funds because I do that passive investing thing. Mm. You know, maybe when I get to your level, I'll start playing around with individual stuff. But what is it you said? Like you should get to twenty five grand passive before you should you like even think about doing individual stocks yeah so and everyone's like oh my god 25 grand are you crazy like i can't do like dude no shut up save 25 g's then you will not be sweating bullets you yeah know, for whatever and then yeah then then you could actually like take some risk you could play with a lending club or whatever buy some like reits and do all things and just you, you need to like, oh wait, I guess well, that's a question. Should I wait on the REIT before I get the 25k because I just put a bunch into the REIT? You're you're already above the 25k threshold. I thought you're investments? Oh, you're t- so you're saying your total net worth is Oh wait, you know what? I am above it. Never mind. You're right. For so, whatever reason I was thinking there was 9k in my in my IRA, there's actually 19k. So Yeah, dude, yeah. and and the okay. thing is you, you also make a lot of money. So you need to and your problem is is the saving aspect, not the. Uh... Well, I'm fixing it. I know. I just I we'll, increased we'll, my auto, and I got to do it again. Well, we'll go back there, and we'll. we'll, we'll I check. might start playing with Digit too. So. But but moving on, moving on, moving on. Okay, <laughs> so all of our regrets are aired. Fourth question: I am currently renting an apartment and working to save up about forty thousand dollars in order to afford a twenty percent down payment on a home. Since this is the money that I will probably be needing in two years or so, I'm hesitant to put it in betterment as I know investing money for such a short period of time is risky and I do not stand to gain much. I'm currently keeping my savings in a savings account that earns minimal interest and not investing it because I would be devastated if I were to lose a significant portion of it. Am I making a mistake by not investing it? Would it be more prudent to put my home down payment savings into a fund that is mostly bonds? And that's from Jacob. So before you answer... Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I just want to say I, I wrote a post about budgeting in college on my site, mm-hmm. and uh, I actually addressed one thing that you had said before. Where you are a professional you... promoter. <laughs> <laughs> no, go on, go on. I'm, I'm learning because we like interview people who are very good at promoting themselves. They are they, like ask yeah. questions. <laughs> like good question, Andrew. Speaking good question. of, yeah. uh, this reminds me of an experience when I was building my Fortune 500 company. <laughs> No, so, so so you're saying so you have this post. Well, I addressed something that you had said where you mm. I think you've said like you don't need a savings account. It just complicates your finances. Just have checking and then investments, right? Mm. And you know your your emergency fund would be in your investment as long as it's lower a low risk investment. And uh, one thing I said is like college students have these uh, semesterly expenses that come up. They're not monthly expenses, but they come up on a, like a biannual basis, like textbooks you got to buy, fees, tuition mm. potentially, uh, dorm if you're in a dorm. So it might be smart to just kind of sequester that money in a savings account mm. just to make sure you have it because it's so short term, like on an investment time timeline, but it's not like monthly. So it doesn't need to be in your checking and sort of like, I don't know, I, I guess with your head there. The, the, the way that I, that I kind of see it and, you know, I guess other people may see differently, whatever, is just because it's in your savings account doesn't mean you're not going to spend it if you don't want to. I mean, I mean like if you want to spend it, you'll spend it. And so the whole mm. the whole thing is the interest that you would gain. Like I guess, like purely logically, right? Purely logically, the interest that you would gain in the savings account over the checking account 
in the course of a year or even two years is like not even worth discussing. It's basically right. zero. So then the only other the reason would be like, well, then I won't spend it if it's my savings account. But I think everyone listening would be lying if they said they have not spent money in their savings account on like stupid trivial bullshit. I, so, I do wanna I do wanna challenge you on that though. What? Because I, I still have a savings account open. And I mean like do you but when me, you use your check wait real quick. I use it, Wait, real quick. When you use your checking account, though, do you like spend it down to zero? Like, is no. that like, you, you, yeah, you kind of just buy whatever. You I know? have like a pipeline in my head where mm. I want three times my number, my like minimum number, at least in the checking account. Mm. But if it's beyond that, it starts to feel like there's just way too much in there. And like, if I, I don't know, I start feeling like a like baller. All- like you're gonna go to the ATM and you're like, give me a hundred million dollars. Like, yeah, I don't know if it's like, oh, there's like 10k sitting in my checking. I start feeling like a baller and I'm like, I can buy whatever I want. But if I like, even if I just move seven of that to the savings, mm-hmm. it just feels like it's sequestered off. My my friend Martin calls it a spending firewall. Mm-hmm. Like it it just feels like you can't spend it. So I don't know. I think depending on the psychology that you're playing with in your in your head, uh, a, a savings account can be can be worth it. it I think there's really, a lot of value as long as to there's that. like a fee to it, you know. Look, like if that if that is what you need or what works for you or just like mentally, you know, not seeing that number helps, like by all means, I guess my whole point with the post was like there's no added benefit maybe yeah. only over complication. So, you mm-hmm. know, it needs to be worth you know, the juice needs to be worth the squeeze. Right. It's just it's just brain benefit at that point. So I guess let's go to the original question. Where if this guy, you know, he need, he knows he needs twenty percent of forty K, so he mm. needs he needs eight thousand uh, dollars within the next two years, where would you put that money, knowing you need to spend it? I would totally uh, go with with his gut and not invest it. Two okay. years is not a term for an investment. Yeah. That's you know, it's it, you're getting there. I, I, I say like you know, three years is like the low end. Like I, I guess, re- th- yeah, think about it. This you way. gotta be like five years at least to be to be really honest. If you're yeah. if you're gonna put eight k into Betterment, you know, conservatively you make seven percent a year on that, right? Mm. So you're gonna make with between six and seven hundred dollars a year. So like, is a potential gain of fourteen hundred minus whatever fees they take is that worth? like sweating over considering that it might not be that high within two year period, which it might not be because two years is more volatile than 50 years. Mm. I don't know. You know, and the one thing, cause you know, the, this is actually a question that gets asked a lot specifically in terms of a down payment for a home. And I think you need to maybe consider that like a downturn in the market may likely correlate with a downturn in the housing market. So the exact moment, when prices in the housing market will be the cheapest will also be when your portfolio is the lowest. So if you're saving up to buy a home and you are so lucky that your two-year mark was a low in the housing market, you damn well better hope your down payment is not in the market as well because right. like, you're not going to be able to get that good deal because like, the, the ships rise and, and lower with the tide. So, you know... Yeah. When the market's up, everyone has more money. When the market's down, everyone has less money. But if you had your down payment out, you'd be able to snatch up that, that deal. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going I'm to put my inexperienced 23-year-old foot down here 
and say that if you're saving for a short term, like within the next two to three years purchase, a savings account makes sense. Or maybe a money market or something where it's not checking. It doesn't make you feel like a baller, but it's not risky. All of the above, not an investment account. Right. They're not an investment. No, yeah. Don't think my savings account makes like 1.5% interest. And that's amazing. Mm. Like that's ridiculously high for a savings account, but it's still less than inflation. You know what? Uh, If you (laughs) want to put your money in something that will actually make you money, and uh, like more than than nothing they'll get from a savings account, but you want to make sure it's there. Like when when you need it, uh, you can get a CD, which will be slightly oh, yeah. higher interest, or you can get something like a U.S. Treasury bond, which like I'll tell you what, um, if the U.S. government declares bankruptcy, you have so many more issues <laughs> than not being able to buy your house. Like I, it's not even a thing. So if the U.S. government declares bankruptcy, I will be at the grocery store and the hunting store. That's right. The hunting <laughs> store first so that you guns. can get all the food you need. <laughs> I have a fucking shotgun. Give me the damn... <laughs> give me the cheesy poops. I'll be prepared for anarchy. <laughs> Where's my bunker? But hey, like U.S. Treasury bonds, I think they're about like 2% right now. I think the 10-year yeah. is about 2%. So that's pretty Better solid. you're going to get in a savings account. Yeah. And like the 1.5 I get in my savings account, not typical. No, I think that's... my bank was a pretty new bank and they were doing like this web promotion thing. Where like if you get like this weird savings account thing, they did it. So I did that. But Anyways. I think most of the ones I've seen were like point one, point two. Yeah, and that's so not even worth it. Mm. Anyway, all right, our fifth question here. All right, so uh, I have goals to retire early. I'm 27 now. Save about 50 percent of my income. Holy crap! Good for you, dude. So, yeah, good for you, man. I guess I said holy crap because I'm my perspective now is my income is the gross. I guess or my income is pre-tax. I guess they probably see the post-tax. Yeah, so yeah. Maybe a little less crazy. But anyway, still awesome. 50%, that's nuts. Uh, and I want to retire within 15 to 20 years. Awesome again. Mm. <laughs> uh, I know I, I know I'll be hard-pressed to get there without investing into Betterment or Vanguard, so I have started doing that. However, my employer offers up to a 4% matching in a 401k, and I listened to you guys talk about how great IRAs and HSAs are. I know that there are plenty of benefits to plugging money into these retirement accounts. However, they all have steep penalties for withdrawal between or before the age of 59 and a half. However, I don't think I can see myself working until that age in order to collect on those benefits. And I'm currently trying to figure out if I should completely ignore these tax advantage retirement accounts. Would I be making a mistake by not leveraging an IRA, 401k, or HSA? Are there ways I can make use of these accounts but still have access to my money for early retirement? And that comes from Jacob. And that question is exactly what I've been pondering that is we've an, been talking about it is an excellent question yeah and and it, it sets the stage for like uh i mean because i also resonate with that and that is what i'm trying to achieve mm-hmm. and so would it be a mistake to not use like an ira 401k hsa absolutely and i'm going to tell you exactly why so one you need to consider that uh no, like I agree with you. Like you should not put all or even the majority of your money in these tax advantage accounts if you're trying to retire early. Because in order to retire early, you need to have access to your cash. However, it is it is not completely true that you cannot access this money pre fifty nine and a half, the official retirement age. And I'll give you a few examples. So your HSA. I think it is highly unlikely, especially as you get older, you know, you could be 40, 45, 35, whatever, you'll have medical expenses. You're going to need to go to the dentist for 
uh, cleaning or something that you could pull out of your HSA for that. So, you know, obviously if you're healthier, you'll pull out of your HSA less, but your HSA can convert into is basically an IRA. Um, it's like a glorified IRA. So it's, and because it's post tax and all this stuff. And we, we have, I'm not going to go into, cause you have HSA episodes and the no reason why you should go. You should not go into an HSA. You should go a lot into an HSA, uh, 401k. If you have matching, that's a no brainer. Um, yeah. and I, I want to talk on the 401k, but more so in the IRA where you have this IRA, you put your money in, it's growing tax free, which is great. But you're like, Hey, I can't use it until I'm 59 and a half. You can, however, use margin on your four, on your IRA. And with a 401k, you could borrow against it. So margin is a glorified term for borrowing against an investment. And I'll give you an example. So say you have uh, $20,000 uh, in Apple and it's in your IRA. And you want to go uh, remodel your bathroom because you just do whatever. Um, you can take margin out up to, I believe, like eight. I mean, you could be really risky and take it like uh, probably up to 90% of the value. I would never recommend that, and I'll explain. But you could do something like take half, you know, $10,000 out on margin and go. And basically, what happens is you're borrowing against the thing that you own, the equity. And then you could take that cash, do your kitchen, whatever. And margin, what happens is the debt sits in your margin account and Maybe it's at like 6%. And every year, the 6%, you don't pay a bill. It just, the interest that you owe gets added to your margin account. So over time, your margin grows. And what happens is if you breached 100% in value, <coughs> excuse me, if you breached 100% in value of your investment, there would be a margin call, which means you need to put up money because your debt exceeded the value of so if you ha if you had twenty thousand dollars in Apple and you started with ten percent I mean if you started with ten thousand in margin or half and it slowly grew and it reached twenty thousand and one dollars in margin you would owe your brokerage one dollar because you're one dollar above what you have in your account so you can use margin to fund things and with 401ks you could borrow against I, I could see your face you have questions I am confused on like this whole thing tell me <laughs> okay I kind so, of like spit it out there yeah maybe we should do an episode on this okay Be because I so yeah I feel like we could do an entire episode on this I the whole time I was confused because my knowledge of an IRA Mm. is you suck it in and it's locked up until you're 59 and a half. Mm. And you're saying there's this thing called a margin account where I can basically borrow against the value so, of my IRA? Uh, mo most investment accounts ha have the ability for margin. <clears throat> um, I'm not sure that Vanguard does, but it, it probably does. Uh, Fidelity absolutely does. And I, I part of my contingent plan of if I do ever get laid off or you know, want to quit is I would just pull margin out against my, the stock that I own. Okay. So define that for me, pull margin out. 
Does so, that mean I'm literally pulling money out of my IRA or am I getting a loan from some other entity think, based on it's the like value? A, it's like a secured loan. So imagine you own your house in full. You have no mortgage. Okay. You can, you can take, it's called a reverse mortgage. You could take a mortgage out on your home and they would basically give you a big fucking check. So I'm borrowing against the value of my home. Right. If I don't pay it back, they come take my home. Right. But the thing with with your mortgage is that you owe them a... Huh? (laughs) Or they take a bulldozer and chop my garage off. It's not the entire value. (laughs) uh, Yeah, something like that. Make sure you do it with my son's in there. (laughs) I don't want them anymore. (laughs) The the thing is, like, uh, with your mortgage, you owe a payment. And you may have a certain amount of equity in your home, but if you miss a payment or many payments they will seize your home right? because they have a lien on the property. Mm-hmm. Now, when you have a margin account, and it's basically margin against stocks that you own, you know, not that different from a mortgage on a property where you're taking a loan out on something that you already own. The difference is, is you don't owe them a payment. So the, the point at which they seize... Your thing is when your margin is exceeding the value of what you own. Okay, so I guess a better way to think of it is think of your IRA. You have $20,000 in your IRA. Mm -hmm. So think of your IRA as a house that's worth $20,000. And it would be be difficult to sell my house now. I'd have to wait a long time. But I can get a loan based off of the value of of my and maybe you don't want to sell house. your house like you know because like if i sold my apple stock i would get so many taxes i would have like so much taxes right. on it but okay. i could borrow against it and as long as it doesn't exceed its value i'm fine so say i'm 50 mm-hmm. i can't take my 20k out until i'm 59 mm-hmm. i do the margin thing i take i, I take 10k on margin and like, is there some like deadline for when I have to pay it, or is it just like when I'm 59 and a half, the company will go, Oh, cool, we have access to your IRA, we're going to take the 10k that you owed? Is that what it is? Uh, so I'm not, I'm not sure on the details of that, like specifically, like if when you turn 59 and a half, you have to pay like the 10k back and then you can withdraw or whatever. But I think the point is, is that I, I think the point is that when you look at the IRA or even the 401k, like. It's not fully locked down for every situation always. The 401k is much more locked down, okay. although there are ways to withdraw penalty-free. Um, the IRA is so much less locked down than the 401k, like, and the fees are so much less. Like, I mean, that's why everyone's like, roll over. Roll your shit over. Roll it over to Betterment, whatever, you know? Yeah, Okay. Let's do an episode on this someday. Deal. And let's do an episode, either like research the balls out of it or get somebody who knows a lot about IRAs, 401ks, when and when you cannot pull out before you're 60 or whatever. Because, uh, yeah, I want to know. I want to be solid on this. I'm, you're going to learn this about me. I'm a very like, I need to know. Like I need to be able Good. to follow every like little train of thought. Uh, and if I'm... One thing I learned from reading my stupid Harry Potter rationality fanfic is that uh, I chase any anything I don't like get. If I'm confused, I like go after it. So I'm going to challenge you on that. <laughs> Good. Yeah. 
hey, I, I've been wrong before, and, and you know, <laughs> uh, if you won't call me out, I'll tell you there are quite a lot of people who will call me out, <laughs> and I, I appreciate it. But, um, I, yeah, I, I try not to say things that I don't know. Cool, cool. All right. Well, hey, I think that was a, probably a satisfactory answer for this episode. We're probably nearing the hour mark at this point. Mm. If you enjoy these five questions episodes and you want to get your own questions answered, you can email them to us over at listenmoneymatters at gmail.com. We're always happy to take your questions and bullshit about them on the air. Also, Andrew likes to uh, reply personally when he can. So Mm. email those questions in. Also, if you want to get involved, you can go to listenmoneymatters.com slash get involved, where it will tell you all the opportunities we have for getting involved with our little show here. The least of which would be just to simply subscribe. And if you want to subscribe, you get the new episodes. They get delivered to wherever you listen, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And uh, also helps bump us up the charts in iTunes, which is always a cool thing. I check iTunes every day because I'm a stat nerd. (laughs) And uh, if you really want to help the show out, you can also leave a review. I'm going to read one real quick, simply titled Great by Chaw515. Just great. They talk about the stuff you really want to know, but not in a traditional talk radio way. Binging out on Listen Money Matters equals better than Netflix. Yes. That is the best thing that could possibly be said. Because I do love that Netflix. That is great. <laughs> okay, Tony. <laughs> oh my God, so corny. ListenMoneyMatters.com slash toolbox is where you can find all those cool resources and things that we love related to your money and related topics to money. Anyway, thanks for hanging out with us and we look forward sincerely really do, to the next episode. Later, man. Later, Thomas. Please tell your friends about this show. (laughs) 